looking to learn more on how to build wealth through real estate? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Make Money Make Sense podcast with Dante Belmonte. Each episode, we have the privilege to bring you a professional in the real estate world. One that will help you become a top investor, whether that's a passive role or managing the day-to-day. Let's jump right in. Welcome back to the show, guys. We've got another episode of Make Money, Make Sense in Real Estate. This week's guest is Chris Larson. Chris is from Asheville, North Carolina. Chris is an active syndicator. He's also the author of Next Level Income, nextlevelincome.com. Go check him out. Hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Please head over to Apple Music, give us our Apple Podcast, give us a five-star rating, and write us a review. It always helps out the show. Enjoy the episode. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on this morning. How are you doing today? Dante, I'm great. I'm excited to be here. Yes, thank you for coming in. Uh, Chris, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners, uh, tell us uh, you know, where you're from, uh, where you are right now, and currently what you're doing. Yeah, so currently live in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, my wife and I have been here with now our two boys, eight and 10, for about 12 and a half years. Actually just moved into a new house that we've been uh, on for over two years now. So it's been great. I uh, grew up in Maryland uh, between Baltimore and Annapolis. My mother's side of my family's from Baltimore. I went to Virginia Tech. Uh, I talk about a lot of this in, in my book, which if you're listening today, you can get a free copy at our website, nextlevelincome.com. There it is. Yeah. Uh, just click on the book link. And if you put your address in, I'll send a copy just like I did Dante. Um, but yeah, I uh, went to Virginia Tech. When, when I was young, my passion was racing bicycles. And that kind of led me to investing as I was looking for some opportunities for financial freedom. So I could, I could be a poor bike racer. Bike racers don't make a lot of money. Um, you know, people think about like Lance Armstrong and, you know, but your, your typical cyclist doesn't make a lot of money. So as I, as I looked at different options out there, I was trading in the stock market and I came upon real estate. I liked the control that real estate afforded you, the leverage, the cash flow. And bought my first property at age one, and here we are, 21 years later. I'm age 42, and we're up to uh, over 1,500 units. Awesome, I love it. Yeah, I was going to mention the book, Next Level Income. Guys, go check that out. Uh, that is something you can get for free. Chris will I uh, send on over to you. Great book. I've been dabbling in it a little bit. Uh, not crazy big, but I believe you said it's just really what you did to condense a lot of your blog posts, just to put it into an easier format for people. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. It talks about a little bit about my story. It talks about why I call multifamily investing the, the holy grail of real estate. Um, talk about the due diligence process behind it and kind of our methodology. But really, it's about you know, how do we financial freedom and, and the path and the format that I use to do that. Awesome. I love it. So today, what are you doing in real estate? Yeah. So our big focus today is multifamily. So what we're doing, Dante, um, I've been focused on the Southeast for a lot of years. If you read my book, uh, I talk about it. So I don't, you know, I'm, I'll, that's the last time I'll talk about, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, my book and, and repeating myself. <laughs> but I moved to the Southeast for demographics. So uh, when I was in college, I was looking at different career options and I wanted to fuel my investing. So I was looking at different careers and I came upon the medical device industry. I was working for a state farm agent. And his friend was a medical device sales rep. So talked to him, took him out to lunch, 
And this is so cool. I was designing these implants in my engineering classes. And I thought, how neat would it be to work with the surgeons in surgery and implement these? And the, one of the reasons I looked at as a career is because of the demographics. You had all these baby boomers. Now, this is about 20 years ago. They're getting older and needing surgery. When my wife and I looked at areas of the country to live, we looked at areas where people would be moving. And 20 years ago, it was the Southeast. It remains so today. And I applied the same kind of macro demographic to look at where to buy multifamily today. We like the Southeast. We've bought in markets such as Houston, Texas, Atlanta, Georgia, where we own over 750 units, the Carolinas, as well as Florida. So all these areas, and there's others in the country like Denver Strong. Uh, there's, there's a lot of markets in Texas that are strong as well. Phoenix, Arizona is another really strong market. Um, but we currently are focused on the Carolinas. We are in the process of acquiring two communities, one in the Raleigh MSA and one in the Charlotte MSA. Um, so our big focus is 150 plus units, B plus value add uh, assets. So we're talking about properties. You say uh, B or C plus? Uh, B is in boy. Okay. B plus value add. So we're, we're looking at properties that are built in the 90s up to um, one of the properties we're, we're in the process of acquiring of acquiring was built in uh, 2018. So wow. even up to, you know, kind of A, A minus assets in large growing markets that are very favorable demographics. I love it. The The Southeast is on fire. There's no question about it. Those markets that you mentioned, the markets that you're in and being able to get in there before a lot of the big players did, I'm sure has been a benefit to you guys. Where do you see those markets today are in a cycle? Because obviously you have an upward downward trend when, you know, Jobs are starting to come in. People are starting to migrate in. You see that upward trend. Then when it starts to get overbuilt or there's too many players or cap rates get too compressed, you start to have that downward trend. Where do you think we are in that? You know, we won't hold you to this, but I'm curious on your opinion of where you think we're at in that cycle. No, fantastic question, Dante. And I try to follow big macro so I call them like tidal shifts. So I don't try to find, you know, what, what, what the waves are going to be, you know, in a short-term cycle. I try to fi follow big trends. So back in 2013, when I started in multifamily, I said, okay, th this is a trend that's going to continue. Where are people moving? And even if you go back that far, you could see that millennials and population was moving out of some of the urban centers. So that, that trend had started. Now we're really seeing an acceleration in that trend with COVID. So I personally think that if you are in kind of core markets like New York, San Francisco, even like Austin, Texas, markets like that, you're, you're seeing kind of some tops because you've seen some oversupply from development. The markets that we're focused on and the segment of the market we're focused on, it's maybe not as sexy as development, like these new properties that are getting built. We like to buy stable cash flow properties that are already you know, 90, 95, sometimes even 100% occupied in these secondary suburban markets. So we want to be, you know, kind of outside the urban core, you know, places that are a little more affordable than the urban market. Um, and like the property we're, we're buying now, it's uh, over 30 acres. It's a beautiful piece of property. Um, just, just gorgeous, large property, lots of space to be outside, um, kind of garden style. So we're not talking about high rises. Right, so two, we're really focused. Levels. Exactly, exactly. And I think that those markets still have some runway to continue, um, especially if you're looking at, like I was saying, these value add deals that maybe don't have high speed internet implemented. You know, people are really wanting that. Um, some of the amenities that you know, have come 
uh, to be expected in these markets over the last five to 10 years. You know, if we can go in and put in granite countertops or quartz countertops, um, stainless steel appliances or new black appliances, little things like wood flooring that the residents expect and like, give it a refresh on the outside. You have, you have real, like as I talk about in the book, controlled appreciation, the ability to drive ink revenues up. And also we optimize expenses always in all of our communities to try to increase that net operating income and value for investors. Right. And controlled appreciation, that's very important because regular appreciation, that's, you know, icing on top of the cake. We don't care about that at all. We don't bank on that. We don't account, like calculate for it. We really force it and we control the asset. I like that. So um, with, with these deals, you're obviously syndicating them, correct? Absolutely. Okay. So talk to us about uh, the first syndication you ever did. Uh, a lot of people would like to hear that as you know, young syndicators on here, they'd like to hear, how'd you make it happen? Yes. Yeah, so first and foremost, Dante, I started as an investor. So I started first as an active investor when I was 21, buying my first single family property that I actively managed. I did that for almost 15 years. Um, in 2013, I started as a multifamily, as a passive investor in syndications. And I did that for about three years. My partner, my first partner, I formed our partnership in 2015. And we started uh, in the process of looking for a deal that made sense for us and the small group of investors we had at that time. And we're talking less than two dozen uh, at the time, whereas now we're talking about over three, 350 investors almost now. That's awesome. Uh, just to kind of give an idea. But uh, that first syndication was, you know, by all accounts, a small hundred unit property in Atlanta. It took us about nine months to both find and perform due diligence and ultimately close on that deal. We closed on that deal in August of 2016. It was a $9 million deal. We raised almost four and a half million dollars for that property. And then, you know, since then, um, I got to do the math here. We're, uh, we're on our eighth, eighth property here. Um, since since 2016. So we've been averaging about two a year over the past uh, four to five years. That's awesome. I love that. And you said that was about 100 unit. And what market was that in? It was 100 units. It was in Smyrna, Georgia. So it was actually right down near the new Atlanta Braves Stadium, uh, just north of Atlanta. And we went on to buy four more communities down there uh, in the Atlanta, what we call Metropolitan Statistical Area, MSA. Yep. And how did you find that deal? So we, uh, again, we, we talk about um, how before you go and you find a deal, I always talk about pick a market that you like and then build the relationships in that market. So we had relationships that we had built with brokers. Um, now, more, more so with sellers like this latest deal we're doing is an off-market deal. Um, but we had developed some relationships with brokers and actually our, our partner on that deal that we had invested with uh, had, had gotten that deal brought to them. And it was a little too small for them. So we ended up taking that deal over and purchasing it. And then uh, the second deal we bought down there was a relationship with a broker that developed into a more deep relationship with a seller uh, that we purchased. So again, you know, continuing to develop those relationships to bring that deal flow. As we did it. Awesome. I love it. And what is your role right now with your company? Yeah. So Next Level Income is our brand website. It uh, basically has two pieces. We have our educational side, which, you know, if you go on, you can listen to our podcast, you can check out our blog, you know, obviously the book um, I mentioned, we have an audible version of that coming out here uh, at the end of the year. But then we also have our, what I call our opportunities for financial independent. So my role, I do underwriting, 
I do investor relations. I do education on that side. And, you know, we're talking about uh, at the numbers on a deal. So for anybody that's not familiar with underwriting, looking at, you know, the assumptions that we make as we go into a deal, the actual projected returns, you know, how are we uh, evaluating if we're going to hit the metrics that we want to hit for our investors, and then ultimately educating investors on the opportunities, extending it to them, the capital rate process. So, you know, if we're, if we're buying a 50 or $60 million property, we may be raising $20 million um, for a deal like that. So we're, we're, and that capital pulled together on a pretty short timeline. We like to close typically within two to three months of putting a deal under contract and then ultimately uh, a deal done. And then at that point, I'm, I'm handing that off to our operations team, uh, which is headed by one of my partners. So if we're doing a value ideal like we have under contract right now, 288 units, about 50% of those are going to be renovated over the next two years. And he's going to be the one that's going to be managing that process. Awesome. I love that. So yeah, you definitely have your hands in many different factors of, of the business. I love that. Very hands-on. With these uh, investors that you have, you said you start out with a little less than half a dozen and now you're upwards of 300. I'm sure it's different back then versus what you're doing now, but what are you doing to attract investors? Are you doing anything unique or really just using the educational platform? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so it's it's kind of evolved over time, Dante. So at first, it was it was really friends and family. So reaching out to people that I knew that were interested in the space or that had known me and known what I had been doing, and just letting them know, for instance, say, hey, we're we're about to buy this property. I know we've talked about it in the past, or maybe I knew that you had invested in some real estate, and and really offering the opportunity to invest as alongside of us. And that process hasn't changed much. The difference is, you know, as we've expanded outside of our, you know, core group of individuals in that first level, um, I've done things like, like write the book, like, like open up the podcast, you know, write the blog so that, you know, I can't be on the phone talking to, you know, 300 people every day and right. keeping up with them. So what I've had to do is scale that. Um, I have a team that helps me produce the podcast. I have a partner on, on the marketing side um, and people that help me, you know, not only produce the, the content out there, um, but also get it out. And then we've also put systems in place to help formalize things. So that first raise, I want to say it took us three months to raise, to raise um, four and a half million dollars. And the last deal that we uh, closed the raise on, it took less than a week. Uh, to raise significantly more than that. So yeah, it's, you know, so the process of educating investors, we've had to condense that and make sure um, that we have systems in place to digest the the flow of investors into a deal and make sure that we're keeping up with uh, the greater number. And then on the backside, Dante, I'm, I'm big on communication. I send out reports every month to investors in our deals so that they know what's on every quarter, they get detailed financial transactions. So I just, again, want to make sure that, you know, we're keeping up with all that and everybody's managing that um, uh, on, a, on a monthly basis so that all the investors are getting, you know, the information. Um, and then if you look at like the COVID situation, we were doing even the updates to keep investors updated on what was going on in the properties to, good, you know, good. ease some anxiety that was out there. Oh yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot of it. <laughs> and something you said that I really liked was you're presenting investment opportunities. It's not asking for money. That's what people need to understand in this business is you're not asking for money. You're not asking for a loan. You're not asking, you know, you're presenting an investing opportunity, a diversification of someone's portfolio, someone that's used to investing in stocks and getting no very low quarterly dividends, you know, cause stocks don't give out dividends like real estate does. It's totally different. Um, I love that as well. Um, 
for you guys, like you said, you're doing education. So do you have someone that takes care of the investor relations or did you say you do that a little bit as well? Investor relations is a big component of what I'm doing. Awesome. Okay. And what platforms are you guys utilizing to keep up with investors? Obviously you're not sending out individual emails to all 300 plus investors. What are you utilizing? What are you leveraging? Yeah. So MailChimp's been big over the past couple of years, um, keeping up with, with, you know, monthly emails that are going out, uh, managing that from um, a personal perspective, I use HubSpot to keep track of, you know, all the inflow and investors that are coming in. You're familiar with SEC regulations. So we're very strict when it comes to, yep, you know, our relationships when it, yep. With investors, um, tracking, um, not only the relationships, but also are, you know, are they an appropriate fit? So, you know, we've, we've turned investors away just because it might not be a good fit for where they are at that time. Um, but that's where kind of the next level income brand came about, which was how do you educate someone that wants to become an investor, but either doesn't have the financial wherewithal or the knowledge uh, to do so at the time. And we wanted to, to make sure we're doing that. So um, again, the platform for that, uh, I have uh, my former, partner on the podcast, Caleb Wellborn. Uh, he's been my marketing strategist for over three years now. So he manages my website platform and all the information that, that goes up on there. Um, so it's, it's really like a big funnel, Dante. You know, we want to make sure that we're, we're providing education for investors, you know, at the top of the funnel. And then as it gets down towards, you know, like a deal coming through, if an investor reaches out and says, I'm interested, that's where we're going to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And I'm going to spend time with them on the phone. Uh, going over financials, um, different questions that they may have. Um, whereas at the top of the funnel, there's more generalized information that's possible to anybody out there. Of course. Yeah. And mentioning SEC regulations, are you guys chasing after 506B Bravo or 506C Charlie, or have you actually done a mix of both of them? Great question. Uh, every deal we've done up until this point has been 506B, but our latest uh, offering is 506C. So for anybody that's listening, that's not familiar, 506B is uh, an exception under SEC guidelines, Reg D. And what it basically says is that you have to be uh, accredited. Um, and there's a small amount of sophisticated investors that are allowed in those deals, about three dozen uh, can get in those deals. You have to have a one-on-one -on -one personal relationship that has extended before the offering has gone out for um, a significant amount of time, whereas a 506C can essentially be advertised. The challenge with that is that investors all have to be accredited. Um, and there's, there's some new guidelines that the SEC released at, at the end of August um, for anybody that wants to check those out. I'm not going to go into the specifics, but we use a third-party accreditation service for investors to certify their accreditation for that. So it's it's a little bit more onerous for investors. Um, I've gone through the process myself multiple times, so it's not it's not that complicated. It takes about 30 minutes. It's pretty straightforward, and once you've done it one time, um, it's it's pretty easy to go through. Awesome. Yeah. So something else you were talking about in the beginning was you implement your business plan as a value-add business plan. Obviously, that's there's a lot of upside potential there, but you're not going into a complete distress situation. What does the timeline look for you guys when you are looking at, I know every property is going to be different because they're at different stabilization points, but when you're looking at a property, what is the projected business plan? Is there a projected refinance date you guys have or timeline? And then when's that exit strategy implemented? You're spot on. Like every property is slightly different. Typically our value add uh, process that we're going through, it's going to take somewhere between 12 and 36 months. So, you know, a more heavy lift 
you know, for a property that's two, 300 units that we're doing every single, uh, every single door. Um, so I'm thinking back to a year ago, acquired a property um, in the research triangle of Raleigh, North Carolina, and, you know, over 200 doors, every single unit is going to be renovated over a three-year period. And then what we did was we lined up the debt with that. So we project for something that take three years to complete renovations. We may model out a five-year hold with seven-year debt. So we're kind of building ourselves um, some cushion on each side. So yeah, we think it's going to take... There, yeah. Exactly. So if we think it's going to take three years, maybe we say we're going to hold it for five. If we're going to plan on holding it for five, we're going to line up for seven, maybe even 10 years um, for that. Typically, we're looking at putting agency debt from Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Uh, bridge debt in this current market is get. We're not utilizing that currently. Uh, so we're using fairly low leverage, like typically under 70% LTVs for our properties. Um, we're buying property mentioned, we're stabilized. So that's the other challenge. You can't, you can't kick residents out or you don't want to kick paying residents out. So part of that timeline is driven by the cycle on the rents. So on the other end of the spectrum, you may have a very light value ideal where you're going in and you're implementing operational efficiencies, or maybe you're, you're implementing um, a high-speed internet. So one of the strategies we love to implement, it's, it's using a service called Gigafy. And what we, we come in, we run internet to the property, and then we become the internet service provider. We're able to provide a more affordable service than any of the local competition that's out there. And it's typically higher quality as well. And it's a lot easier for the residents to get it. So it's a no-brainer for them. They save money. They get better service. They don't have to pay multiple um, you know, different bills. They just pay us in one spot. And we're always there. Um, I, anybody that's listening that's ever had to deal with a cable company or satellite company, um, it's, it's usually a challenge to get them to come out. And if they tell you, hey, we'll be there between 1 and 5, they show up at 5.15 in the evening. Um, <laughs> which I always find that it's, it's amazing how they can make that happen. Yeah. Um, so, and then the last piece of the answer to your question is, uh, one of the optimal strategies. So we're paying dividends typically monthly. And then if we can, we'll pull the trigger on what some people might call it a refinance, but with agency debt, like Fannie Mae and Freddie, it's called a supplemental loan. So we're putting on a supplemental loan and that allows us to return capital back to investors. So they may be getting their you know, return uh, distribution on a monthly or quarterly basis, but then being able to send them a big check back in the form of return of capital, you know, with a refinance or a supplemental loan can really increase their IRR and their returns and allow them to reinvest that, um, whether we sell it very shortly thereafter, whether we continue to hold it and cash flow it. I love that. Yeah. And it's something you said when you're buying these somewhat stabilized assets, you're looking for something that cash flows from day one because you do have investors that are expecting returns. Do you guys ever utilize any interest only on the loan for the first year while you're trying to get things implemented? That way there's more cash flow to be had there. Yeah. So I always tell investors, you know, people say, well, well, Chris, why don't you want to pay down the loan? Well, first off, if you can get an interest only loan, so let's say you get a 10 year loan and getting seven years of interest only, that's, that's a testament to the quality of the asset, the cash flow of the asset, the stability of the asset. So very high quality debt. Um, the other piece is, if I said to you as an investor, would you rather pay down the loan and get that money back upon sale or like we were talking about uh, refinance, or would you rather have that money in your pocket today? Yep. The answer to me always is today if it's in a tax advantage fashion. I was going to say is, the tax is, benefits you get on that. 
Exactly. And that's kind of the last piece of the returns puzzle. So I always tell investors, you know, the, the, the great part about being a passive investor with multifamily real estate is you get distributions in a cash flowing stable property, you get appreciation. And we talked about controlled depreciation and you get great tax benefits and those tax benefits in the form of depreciation typically offset the distributions. And I'm, if you're listening, I'm not your accountant, so you can check with your accountant and your situation is going to be unique. Um, but typically that depreciation offsets the distributions and you can get those distributions in a tax advantage or tax delayed fashion, which is fantastic, especially for high income individuals. Most definitely. And something you mentioned as well is monthly distributions. Why do you choose the monthly over the seems to be quarterly distributions that people mention a lot? Yes. So if you go on our website, if you, if you read our content, we talk about investors first. And that's, that's been my slogan since I founded Next Level Income was putting investors first. Uh, the, the monthly distributions we think are, are friendly for investors. It also gives us a higher level of accountability. So we're having to go through those financials on a monthly basis, do monthly reporting. And you know, frankly, it's, it's good for us too, Dante, because we get to interact with investors on a more frequent basis as well. Great point. And Great point. if, you know, if investors don't want to hear from me and delete the email, uh, but what's nice is they're going to get that, that deposit in their account every month, uh, you know, around about the 15th of the month, each month. Um, and I, I don't know you, but I typically pay my bills on a monthly basis. So it's nice to get uh, income on a monthly basis. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And like you said, communication with your investors, let's say someone invested $250,000 with you guys. Odds are they want to hear from you. They don't want to just hear from you if, you know, three, four times a year, I think that's ridiculous or some really minuscule monthly updates. So I think that's, that's a great strategy. I like that a lot. You were also talking about agency versus bridge debt. Would you like to give a brief explanation to the listeners, the difference between the two? Yeah. So when we talk about agency, we're talking about Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, which are, you know, kind of like quasi governmental agencies. They've become more and more uh, supported by the government here in, in recent history. But what's great about agency debt is it's non-recourse. So we're typically getting debt from Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. Today, we're seeing rates around 3% and it's non-recourse. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's free money shaking your head. Oh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. Um, so, you know, with the 10-year Treasury down below 1%. We're typically seeing about a 200 basis point spread on that, um, which translates to less than 3%. Non-recourse debt, which if, if you don't know what that means, it means that if you're an investor or an owner, the debt is supported by the property. So the bank is going to, they'll take the property over before they come after investors. Now, if there's fraud by the, the general partners, that, that's a whole nother story. Um, right. You know, or there's bad actors and, and we guarantee that. Uh, as GPs, but if you're an investor, it's it's very nice. Especially, let's say you're you're a physician, you have liability from your business, from your practice, from you know patients. You know the last thing you need to worry about is you know is the investments that you have that are out there um, and the bank coming after you for those. So that's another that's a nice layer there. You know the bridge debt is typically handled by uh, a private capital, private pool that's out there. Uh, we have intermediaries, or sometimes we go through, um, you know, brokers that are that are dealing with that. And so, bridge debt is going to be if you're doing, say, a seventy percent loan to value. It's kind of like if you think about if you've ever purchased a house and it's non-conforming, and maybe you need to do a lot a HELOC on top of that eight percent loan. It's on top of that. The reason we call it bridge is typically it's a bridge to the future when you refinance that property or an anticipated 
sale date. So if you may be working with an organizer that says, hey, Dante, I can do these renovations real fast in a year. We're going to use bridge debt for a couple of years and then we're going to refinance out the backside when we've raised the value of the property. Bridge debt can enhance returns. Mm -hmm. It can also increase your risk because you're, you're putting more leverage yeah. on top of that. Yeah. So um, it, can be, it can be good for situations. We certainly have explored it um, or even utilized it in past projects depending on um, you know, where it is. But again, you have to be considerate of the increase in returns and potential increase in risk as well. Now, if someone was syndicating a deal, where could someone go out and get agency debt versus bridge debt? Yeah, good question. So um, if, you are, if you are out there buying and syndicating deals, these lenders are going to find you. They're going to reach out to you typically, just like if you're, uh, if you're buying a house. But same thing, when you're doing your first deal, you're going to want to develop the relationships with the brokers, with the sellers. You're also going to want to develop relationships with banks and lenders. And, you know, there's, uh, if you're listening and you want some contacts, feel free to reach out to me at chris at nextlevelinglink.com. I can go and put you in touch with some that are out there. Um, but you can either work with directly with uh, a lender um, or you can work with a broker that's going to have access to several lenders. Um, I know I know smaller lenders or smaller private capital lenders that they work with, you know, a couple different small private capital groups and they do, you know, somewhere between 10 and $20 million of loans a year. Whereas we've worked with uh, brokers or banks that are dealing with agency debt and backed by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And we're talking about, you know, they're doing a billion dollars a year in loans. So it's, it's, it's two different areas. Um, and sometimes you can have someone uh, contact that can deal with both sides of that as well. National lenders or like local smaller like credit unions do you guys like using in particular markets or is it a mix really? It's a mix. Typically, uh, the larger shops are going to be able to give, give you better um, financing. If it's a smaller deal or a local deal, it is worth exploring you know, local lenders or, or credit unions. Um, if you look at, you know, the small deals that we have around Asheville, we use local banks for those and we, we typically get uh, better deals than that. Or it's, eh, you have the ability to um, get a little more flexibility when it comes to the underwriting process. Whereas you're, if you're dealing with, you know, Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, there's very stringent um, uh, underwriting that's that's done, which is great because they're coming on the property and helping to corroborate what you've seen. Um, but also, you have to you have to jump through those hoops and go through that process, which um, can be a little more onerous. The other thing is, these lenders also have what's called green lending programs. So if you go in and you can put in um, LED lighting, low flow toilets, um, and implement you know certain energy savings, you can get a lower interest rate with that as well. And this interesting, I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, so that's one of the ways the government is incentivizing, you know, some of these things that are that are beneficial, um, just like the IRS incentivizes in investment through uh, certain tax breaks. That's awesome. I like that. And again, I know every deal is going to be different, but what are you guys looking for when you're looking at a deal? What is your equity multiple or your IRR that you guys are looking to provide investors with? What's that you're targeting? Yeah, so I'll give I'll give a range. So typically, we're looking to give an investor back two times the capital that they invest. And that might be over a three, five or seven year time period. So if you back that out and you look at the IRR and the cash flow, we want to buy properties that are stable and cash flow positive. So typically seeing um, cash returns, 
you know, you know, mid single digits or higher. And we're seeing IRRs in the, uh, the mid typically, but again, every deal is different. Um, it depends on, you know, the quality of the deal, the stability of it, the mix of cash flow and IRR. So, you know, the, the type of debt that we put on the property. Awesome. I love that. And did you have anything else you want to discuss before you head into the next section of the show? I mean, you've dropped a lot of knowledge thus this far into the show. I love it, especially that, uh, that green implement with the lender, you know, more energy efficient, getting a better loan on the property. That's awesome. Yeah, it's one, it's one of my favorites. And, um, I summarize all this in the book. So if anybody's, you know, listening and we also have, um, if you go on our blog, we have a multifamily fundamentals webinar that we have up there as well. So if, if you miss something or you're like, oh, I wish I, w- I want to hear more about that section, you can find it on our website. Awesome. I love it. Well, we're going to head into the next section of the show. It's called the curious cues. I throw the same questions at all of our guests and I want to get your answer on them. Awesome. First question is favorite podcast you enjoy listening to. Yours, Dante. Oh. <laughs> you know, I, so, for everyone that said that I, when I asked that question. <laughs> I, um, so I, I listened to, uh, I, I've consistently listened to like Tim Ferriss over the years, um, okay. or Joe Rogan, long podcast. It's hard for me to kind of, kind of keep up with those on a regular basis. I just listened to a really interesting podcast called Dirty John. And it's basically a story over, over six podcasts. Oh, and wow. it's not, it's not about what you think it's about, but check it out. Dirty John. If you got, if you got a lot, two, three, four hours in the car, it's, it's highly entertaining. Awesome. I'll check that out. What about your favorite book? What book have you read that you really enjoy reading and you find yourself going back to over and over again with it? Yeah. So one that's really stuck out this year for me is a book called lifespan. And it talks about how aging is not inevitable. And the reason I bring that up is because I think if you say, for instance, I'm going to live to the year 100. So some people may think, well, Chris, you're 42 years old. You're going to be over 120 years old. If you reset when you think you're going to be able to live to, if you say, well, instead of 80, I'm going to live to 120. Think about what you can accomplish in your life. And if you say, I don't want to live that old. But if I said, you could be as healthy as you are when you're 80, when you're 40. And then when you're 100, you could be as healthy as you typically were when you're 60. You start to change your mindset. You start to change the impact that you have on the world. And that's why I love that book so much because it's more about, it's more than just about health and vitality. It's literally about the ability to affect change in the world, change in your future, um, your family's future, and, and uh, the impact that they can have as well. That's great. I love that. I'll have to uh, check that out. Biggest hurdle in real estate you've had to overcome. Yeah, I think just like in life, it's relationships and, you know, I have, I've had great relationships, great partnerships, and I've had some that have gone um, sideways. And, you know, if you know me, you you probably know what, what I'm talking about. Um, But I think, you know, if you are out there and you're, you're figuring out the fundamentals, you're like, like me, you're a numbers guy, you're an engineer, you're like, oh, I can, I can put the logical pieces together. The non-logical piece is human beings, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, if you are building a business, I think the most important thing you can do is build strong relationships, build great partnerships that are durable, that people you can trust. And, you know, if you have those in place, you have a network that you can always go to, your life is going to be richer, it's going to be more fun. And, you know, everything starts to turn into, you know, kind of a lifestyle and and fun and you're doing business and pleasure all at the same time. Yeah, that's great. I love it. 
Favorite non-real estate related hobby? I'm sorry, say that one more time. Favorite non-real estate related hobby? I have been a cyclist since I was 14, competitive since I was 14 years old. Um, so I just uh, I just spent a week riding with a group of friends in Winston-Salem. And wow. I'm, I'm planning on taking my son mountain here this evening. So uh, living in Asheville, North Carolina, I'm very fortunate. We have just an amazing cyclist playground here, whether you're riding on the road, you're riding in the woods, uh, ride gravel. It's, it's just a, it's, it's a phenomenal lifelong sport. And I've, I've been very, very fortunate um, to have it in my life for all these years. That's sweet. Yeah. So cycling is always something I wanted to try. I don't know. It just seems like it's fun. And the people that do it, they, they're head over heels about it. They love it. But let's see it, man. Let's make it happen. Yeah. Let's make it happen. I'll be, hopefully I'll be actually coming down there to visit my partner in Charlotte next month. So maybe we can link up. We'll not be too far away. Let's make it happen. Uh, newbie advice. So what advice would you give to someone that's looking to get started or they've started and they just want to scale a little bit more? Yeah. So I'll continue to educate yourself, um, but I'll reach out to those that have achieved what you want to achieve and ask them for help or partner with them. It, it's not worth making the mistakes that other people have made. They're too costly in this business. And in my opinion, there's so many people that are out there that are willing to help you. And, you know, it's, there's, there's enough money for everybody. There's enough deals for everybody to go around. And, you know, if you want to be successful, find success and model the success after those that have achieved it already. Yeah, that's good. I like that. And where do you see yourself in 10 years? Wow, that's that's ten years is a good is a is an interesting. I usually look a little bit closer, a little bit further out. Um, I will I'll be sending my boys probably either off to college or at least out of the house. And my wife and I will probably be exploring our options with respect to, you know, where we're looking to kind of start our next adventure in life. Um, okay. But as far as the real estate side, I think we'll have about ten x what we have now, if not more. And I really see. Uh, myself focusing on continuing to mentor and educate those, um, including my own, my own two sons, if they're interested in it as well. So I really see the education side of Next Level Income growing and taking over over the next 10 years. Awesome. I love it. I love it. That's great. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Where can people connect with you, learn more about you, get your book, all that good stuff laid on us? Absolutely. So right, right behind me here, nextlevelincome.com. You can reach out to me directly at chris at nextlevelincome.com. You can get our book by clicking on the book link, podcast, blog, um, everything that's up there. If you have anything specifically that I can help you out with, don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, Dante, I, I think what you're doing, your podcast is awesome, provides so much value, and I'm really honored to be a part of it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope you were able to take some value away from today's episode. For more information or to connect with Dante, visit victorycapgroup.com. See you next week.